Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Commercial Appeal. This is the Grizzlies Podcast. Ryan Tillery, the only beat writer the Memphis Grizzlies have ever known. And this is the holiday edition of the Grizzlies Podcast. And it's a holiday edition because you don't celebrate the Grizzlies without talking to an original Memphis Grizzly in Brevin Knight, who also happens to be one of the most popular Grizzly analysts working for the team today. Before we get into some real talk, how is it being on, on the other side? It's great, man, because guess what? Knees feel good. I don't have to ice after the game. And and I'm undefeated. The last seven years, I haven't lost a game. But people think that I've contributed to a lot of wins. So uh, I, I feel really good about being on this side. <laughs> That's a good way to look at it. Okay, so let me ask you this. Before Grit and Grind, the original Grizzlies were... Not good. <laughs> I mean, listen, we, we can try to sugarcoat it and say this, that, and the other, but we, we just weren't good. We had one very good player in Pau Gasol, and it was the rest of us. And, and, and uh, But this is what I say. We had fun, though, and, and we, we never took a night off. We played hard every night. We just didn't have the talent level to win on a regular basis. Of course, we had Jason Williams, who was – fun to be around and fun to watch do all he did but it just to be able to win on a regular basis in this league you got to have a full complement of players we just we just didn't have enough but we had really hard working good fun people to be around oh and talk about fun i'm gonna get back to jay will because <laughs> there's some stories there but i want to give our listeners uh, a taste of some real analysis about this group right um and this is not a loaded question because you know, the reality is, you know, David Fisdale is a rookie head coach. This team has gone through some injuries. So my question to you is, do you think they've overachieved? They have. I think they've definitely overachieved. If you, if you look at uh, the starting lineup that they had in their mind coming into this year, it's only played five games together. Uh, you can still be sitting as one of the better players in the Western Conference, uh, then, then you've overachieved. We lose Zach Randolph for seven games because of his death, the death of his mom, rest her soul. Um, uh, he has done a great job of bringing together young guys, a bunch of second-round picks, uh, journeyman guys, to still go out and play good basketball where they were still winning games. So, uh, you know, they, they relied on, on Mark to kind of carry us during that time where, a lot, where Mike was out. Uh, so I, I think he's done a good job at least keeping this team on the right path. And, and I think one of the things that fans will appreciate is Fisdale's style. Um, before there was a Lionel Hollins, there was a Hubie Brown, who you played for, who brought it, who, as they say today, kept it 100, kept it real. I want to know 
from your perspective as a player, how do guys receive that, and then how far can you go? Well, so I think there's a balance between it. I think you you enjoy that you know every day that you come into work that your head coach is going to tell you exactly what it is, and he's not going to sugarcoat it. Then you would expect for him to still be that way with the media, but there's a way you still have to also expect it for there to be a little temper of it. Whereas maybe you don't say it every day that what may not be happening, because we know what's not happening back in the locker room, but we don't have to want to hear it from media people continue to say it because your head coach said it all the time. So I think because because, because what we tend to do is we go we go in the locker room and we say. Coach said, so what do you think? Exactly. And so, and so y'all don't like that. No, because it, the thing it does is it, it almost it almost inherently pits us against one another. Yeah. Whereas, well, Coach said this. And what do you think? He said you didn't do this. We need – well, I know. Coach said, already said that to me <laughs> right. in the locker room. I don't need for you to then try to get me to answer why he said it or what his mindset is. Right. So, so I think there is a fine line. I think he's done a good job of walking that line. Uh, but it's something that all new coaches have to figure out and see what's the best for this team. Now, with another team, with a more veteran team, people that may be thicker skin, you can do it every day. With another, with some teams who may be a little bit more sensitive to it, you gotta you gotta tailor. Do I say it today? How do I say it? Um, but I think he's done a good job, at least, of holding guys accountable and and talking to guys as men. Is hey, this is this is a man's game. Yeah. Well, I tell you what. Um, while we're on the subject of the Grizzlies and Fizdale's uh, strategy, you know, he's often said, listen, I knew what I had when I had the, the nasty nine. You know, like, I knew what I was going to get every night. Yeah. And so as they try to get healthy, we're going to continue to talk about Chandler Parsons yeah. because they maxed him out. He was their big free agent guy. Um, how I mean I don't even know what the question is. I'm I'm, I'm just gonna like feel my way through this this particular segment. Like you know what needs to happen, you know, with him to be a factor. He needs to play. Yeah. And and whatever that may take. And this is something that I, I always tell to people, and people think that uh, you, you the ins and out nuances of the game. When you go into a locker room, when you look at how much people are making. It makes a big difference in an NBA locker room to look at somebody and say, well, hell, you making that much and you ain't doing this? I'm making this much I'm doing this every day? You can start to get a feeling of resentment. And I'm not saying that that is happening with the Grizzlies. This is I'm talking about what happens with NBA, with NBA players' mindset in a locker room. When you certain people are making a certain level of money, guys are going to expect for you to produce in a certain way. And when you're not producing in that way, for whatever reason, injury, just going through a slump, coach, you and coach not getting along, you're not getting a plays call, whatever the situation may be, there becomes a level of resentment towards those players when it happens. It's human nature. I tell everybody, when you have to make sure in our game, you got to make sure when you start paying people that those people live up to that number, but that also the locker room, it's okay with seeing that guy make that money. I, and I'm 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 looking at you, and and I and I'm I'm watching you as you speak, and I see your expression. I think I'm safe in saying you have mad respect for Mike Conley. Oh, uh, so much respect for Mike because the one thing that Mike has has done is number one, he hasn't changed who he is. 
from day one. He came into this league, this this kid that wanted to show people he deserved to, to be drafted fourth. He can run this organization, and he's done it. He got the big contract. He came back and didn't try to play out of, outside himself. He was having his best numbers statistically. And so when you see that from your top guy, everybody else has to fall in line. And so I, I have nothing but the utmost respect for what he has done um, to start this season, to come back from the fracture back, to play through that, seeing that, maybe something I can do to help this team. Uh, and, and so he's one guy that I think these guys will always look at as saying, we got to give as much as Mike is giving. And that's all you want from your point guard. Man, because I'm telling you, I've been covering this league. You've been playing it. I mean, like, I, I cover some tough guys. You were a tough player. I mean, that's, that's how your career was, was built on. I ain't never seen a dude that, that came back from a broke face and a broke back. I mean, like, how many guys do you seriously know that would do that? Well, and, and come back from the, the broke face during the playoffs to give the team the boost to give us a 2-1 edge. And he just, he just ran out of gas. Right. And then Tony Allen got hurt against the Warriors. So that, that but then to come back early from the, from the fractured back, they say nothing can't hurt it anymore. It's a pain management deal. And for most people, you say pain management, it's a game we love to play. And we all know that the years to play, the days to play this game, he's on the other side of it now. Right. And so you cherish the opportunity to get out there and play. And I like that he still cherishes and relishes those big moments. I got to let people know, because now we're about to talk about Brevin Knight. We didn't talk about the Grizzlies enough. But because um, dude is like straight, slim, looking like he did when he played. I'm begging for suits. I'm, I'm goodwill, but he don't recognize that. <laughs> what made you retire, man? Mentally, I was done. Yeah. And I, I think that was the biggest thing. I was, I was, uh, those last two years, I, I jumped around from from different teams the last two years and two situations that weren't good, going to the Clippers during that, uh, the time when Dunleavy was, was at the end of his rope. A lot of players on that team were at the end of their rope. It was a bad year. Go to Utah the next year. It's the Jerry Sloan, Darren Williams fight. And that, you were part of that, huh? Exactly. I was on that team. And so that that was a, a struggle. And then to lose Larry Miller, the, the their owner, he died during the season. His son took over. So the struggles behind it. So it was, I think, mentally. And then I, I just was done. Physically, I felt good. Um, but there, there, is a, there is a big mental side to this game that if you're going to be good every night, you got to be engaged. And when I went home that summer to start working out again to get ready, I could never get it. I could never get myself in that mindset. And I knew I wanted to do something else with my life. So it all worked out great for me. But people should know you are very involved with your son. You coach yeah. your son. So, you know, you, you didn't totally give it up. No, heck no. I mean, sucks. People always ask me, you going to coach? I said, I coach now. I get I get to coach our little AAU team, and I've been doing it now. It's my third year. Um, and that's just been fun to see kids that couldn't dribble and make a layup two years ago are now our go-to people. And so it's, it's I really enjoy messing around with the kids and, I can still post them up, and I don't have to run too hard to play against them, so so it works well. Let's go back down memory lane. When you got that phone call and they said you've been traded to the Grizzlies, now, at that point, they were the Vancouver Grizzlies who uh, were pretty bad. And be honest. Like, what, 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 
did you did you just yell out a cuss word or something? I mean, like what? Well, no, no. Honestly, I was happy because I was able to leave from Atlanta, which was another bad situation. I, I went there in the middle of the year, and that was so to to have an opportunity to come to something brand new, to a city that I knew was a basketball city. Yeah. Then I felt like, oh, this should be fun. It'll be something fresh. Um, had an opportunity. Had an opportunity to, to go there with Lorenzen and Pal. We came to Memphis, and so it was. I thought it was a it was a new lease on life I got for me when it happened. I mean, it kind of you know the seasons went as they went, but it was to no fault of the players that we had, uh, and no fault to the organization. It's just that's what happens when you're an ex, you're a brand new franchise. Yeah, uh, yeah. And give me your your best Memphis Grizzly story. And listen, and, and we're on the internet. It's like cable, so you can cuss. Exactly. You can you can do whatever you want to do. Well, 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 listen, I guess I, my, my my fondest memories of, of those teams are us hanging out on the bench with Nick Anderson, Mike Austin, Grant Long, Tony Massenberg. I mean, those. I think we had our our best times were away from the floor because it was such a mix of veteran guys and some young guys that the the going out and having fun. Was was at a high level for us <laughs> at that time, uh, and, and so it was. And you were in a new city where, yeah, Memphis. Memphis, Memphis it, 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 it was. Yeah. Hey, it was a lot. I tell you this much though: the 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 worst part about it was the damn Memphis State was getting more love than the oh, Grizzlies. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So, so yeah, there was an NBA team there, but people still didn't really realize there was a damn NBA team there. <laughs> it was all about Memphis State. So I started. To, I had a. I I, I grew to. Have a level of resentment for the university, and now I, I'm I'm a big fan of theirs. We were just in in Detroit, and we got to reminisce a little bit with Grant Long, yeah. And uh, and so I want to segue to this. I know for a fact that Earl Watson did not like playing behind Jason Williams. Earl Watson is now the coach of the Phoenix Suns. You came there and played behind Jason Williams. I ain't trying to start nothing. But what was your experience in, in that situation? Hey, uh, for me, I already now Earl Watson may have come in with a different mindset. Somebody might have told him something different. Yeah. I knew that it was the Jason Williams show when I got there. Okay. Because they needed something to excite people. Right. And to go out and watch a guy just play hard defense, get guys the ball at the right time, come up with a lot of steals, make some mid-range jump shots, wasn't exciting a lot of people in Memphis. Right. Maybe a flashy pass here, a super deep three-point shot, some crazy antic that may happen on the floor. That that is what excited people, and that's what people wanted to see. Yeah. And and for me, he was still a hell of a basketball player. Like the stuff that he can do was 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 real was something I was like, damn, I wish I could do some of those things. So I, I mean, I, I put my whole ego to the side. I let I let it be his show. Make sure my check came on the first and the fifteenth of every month, <laughs> and, that, and that, that was pretty much how, how I approached it. <laughs> CTC, <laughs> exactly. That's all that mattered at that point. <laughs> uh, I, we're talking to the original Memphis Grizzly, Brevin Knight. We're gonna end on this note. Um, I mean, basically, I mean, you know, I see you still enjoying the game, and and, and so. But we also see a lot of guys that just fade to black. This, you know, and you are black as hell. <laughs> Sexy chocolate is what they say. <laughs> um, but 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 what what keeps you 
in, involved? And what, what I mean, what, what's motivating you to still, you know, be involved in it? I get a front row seat to NBA games every night. They pay me to come out here and just talk basketball every game. Which you I know get, well. Hey, thank you. I appreciate it. I get to hang out with your crazy ass <laughs> on the road. Uh, and so it's, it's uh, I always say it, a, a, a idle mind leads to bad things. And so th this keeps me engaged. It keeps me working. It keeps, my, it keeps me doing positive things for myself. And uh, I, I felt like I had something to still give to this game. And I guess the, the day I feel like, you know what? I'm not going to prepare tonight. I just don't feel it as the day that I'll walk away and go home and play golf every day and continue to watch my kids grow. But right now, I, I still feel like I, I, I have some things to say, and I still enjoy trying to figure out how can we be better tonight. How do I get across to people that sit at home watching what's going on in the game and why things are happening? And so I, I still enjoy it. It's, it's my new love. You know, it's playing the game was my love when I did it. Uh, and now talking about it is my love, and it's, it's not a bad job to do for for six months, six and a half months out of the year, <laughs> and then go have five and a half months to do whatever you want to do. And you don't have to take all day getting to the city that you got to get to like yeah, I yeah, do. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I'm saying? So we, we always talk about this. I never consider myself to be media. I'm, I'm, I'm a broadcaster. I just, I just talk about the game. I'm not trying to get no background story. I just want to talk about exactly what happened on that court that day right. and get on that nice private plane and get my seat, sit down and have somebody ask me, what would you like, Mr. Knight? I love that. And I do want to end on this note because we're in a climate where George Carl just came out and blasted right. some players. And then he had the audacity, and, I, and I'm a good friend of George Carl, so I mean, we talk all the time. Uh, he had the audacity to say that if, if Carmelo and if Kenyon Martin had fathers, um, you are a great dad, your, your daughter is brilliant. She, she goes to Stanford, right? You are a Stanford grad. And um, Zach Randolph has built a great family structure and has a, a great family, so uh, I just want to applaud you, um, you know, in that regard, because, I, you know, I think George is wrong. You know? Well, uh, here's my, my, my take on it is, and it's, it's for anybody, you'll never need to try to air your dirty laundry to make a buck. And, and, and to me, there's a lot of sacred things that go on in NBA locker rooms that people at the end of the day don't need to try to write a book about. You had your run-ins with those guys, or you want to make it right, or you want to voice it, you talk to them about it. Yeah. But there's no need for you to go out and write a book so that you can now, so it makes you seem in, in a certain light, or it puts them in, a, in an unfavorable light. Situations that happened when guys were young, there's a whole bunch of us that made mistakes when we were young. Right. But we learn from them, you grow from them, and I think both of those guys have learned and grown from them and have turned into be good fathers in their own right. right. So to me, I... I it was garbage. I, I, I never would subscribe to anybody trying to make, as I said, make some money on backroom stories. Yeah. Stories, stuff that happened that needed to just stay there. Right. I don't try to write a tell-all book about right. it. Yeah, yeah. Well, here, here's, here's the surprise on you, because Rob Fisher is sitting here, and he's about to tell a backroom story on you right now. Go, Fish! Uh, Brevin, let's see. Brevin, Brevin, Brevin. He's a Stanford guy, you know. 
real smart. People might not know that from watching him on TV, but a real smart dude. And, and, he, and he never t- never has more than two drinks when we go out. Never, no, no, no. Usually one. Usually one. It's only two if we go to two places. All right, now I think I got to cut this off because this is still a family newspaper. Hey, this is the Grizzly Podcast on commercialappeal.com. Hey, you guys check us when we come back at you later. This is the Commercial Appeal.